0: Welcome, welcome. Uh, I'm very excited. Today, it's uh, the first episode of the show, The Eccentrics with UI. And uh, we'll be having a conversation with an individual by the name of Akim Haynes. So, who is Akim Haynes? Akim is a two-time Olympian. Uh, he featured for Canada in the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. Uh, he won a bronze uh, bronze medal in the 2016 Uh, Olympics. He's an author as well as a motivational speaker. Originally from Jamaica, uh, he moved to Canada at the age of eight with his mother in a search of a different life. However, circumstances forced Hakim to grow up very quickly. Early in his life he dealt with violence, poverty and stages of homelessness. Down but never out, Hakim's resilient attitude, unyielding faith and disciplined focus helped him find hope in the struggles that he was facing he has traveled the world sharing his story of perseverance leadership and resiliency with corporate organizations schools universities entrepreneurs and athletes in order to help them overcome their toughest battles Uh, his motto that he lives by is it's not what happens to you it's what you choose to do next i can't wait for you to enjoy this conversation i had with akim and uh I hope uh, it inspires someone out there to realize that if he can do it, you can as well. Enjoy my conversation with Akim. Before we begin the conversation with Akim, I just wanted to let you know that uh, this episode is brought to you by my website, which is com. Check it out and uh, let me know what your thoughts are. And uh, let's now get into the show. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the world. Uh, the first episode of the Eccentrics. And uh, I'm pleased to have a great person in our midst for the show, Mr. Hakim Haynes. Mr. Hakim, how are you doing, sir?
1: Always grateful, man. You know, I always start my day the same and I always end it the same, and that's with gratitude. You know, I think one of the things people talk about uh, the most is, you know, when things are going well, they forget to be grateful. And when things aren't going so well, they remember to be grateful. But if you just come with a state of gratitude, whether things are going well or things aren't going so well, it puts you in the right mood. So grateful, man. Uh, how how are you doing today?
0: Man, I am doing very well. I mean, it's, uh, it's around one thirty here in Calgary, uh, in Alberta. And uh I'm just very pleased and happy that you are the first guest on the show. I mean, let me let me just tell our audience how both of us got to know one another. Um, we have a mutual friend by the name of Chucks who connected me to you. And uh I remember when I heard your story, I was like, wow, that's an amazing person. For for, for me, first of all, to even realize that I was two degrees of separation from an Olympian <laughs> <It> was like <laughs> was like, wow, like, you know, I mean, you get you get. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big sports person and stuff, and I know what it takes to get into, you know, just to get into the Olympics. I mean, can you imagine representing your country and having all that competition and then you are selected and then you achieve what you achieve? So when we had a conversation, I was like, you know what? I was very delighted when you offered to come on the show. So thanks very much for coming on.
1: I'm a person of my word, man.
0: Yeah. So basically, um, you know, I have I know your bio, Olympian, bronze medalist, and all the other things that I have already shared on the intro with the with with the audience. So I think the the way I want to start the conversation really is, what got you into athletics? How did you even get in? And how did you even dream of becoming an Olympian?
1: Yeah, the Olympics was never a dream for me, man. I never had any aspirations to become Olympian. I didn't had any aspirations to go to an Olympic games. I know a lot of people who are at that level that that is their dream since day one. But I just wanted—I just want to get my school paid for, you know. What I'm saying I didn't come from money. I didn't come from a lot of different things, and I really didn't want to do track in the first place. I wanted to play football, American oh, football, wow. American football, because you know, soccer football two different things depending on what country true, you true, are. True, 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 um, true. And I just wanted to do that. And I remember my my uh, high school coach, high school football coach, was like, you know, Akeem, if you if you run track and field, you can get faster. It'll help you get faster for football. And I said, OK, you know, one plus one equals two. Right. So that's what I did. And it did work. But then I didn't start taking it seriously until I started to get offers from different schools and different people. And I got to the point where in the 11th grade, I was the number one in one event or number two in another event in Canada. And I was top five in North America. So I started to understand that. like, man, whoa, whoa. I could...
0: top Top five in North America?
1: Yeah. 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 I was, I was, I was... Group class age
0: group, group or what? age group, age group,
1: age oh, group. Oh, okay. Wow. Age group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I started to get recruited by some division one schools in America. And that's when I realized like, man, you know, I have an opportunity here to get my school paid for completely. So I should probably take this a little bit more serious. But as far as the Olympics and all that stuff, it was never a dream of mine, but it became a reality for me as the training and the season and the years went on.
0: Wow. So, so hold on. I mean, I know we both live in Canada, but most of this offers also came, did some offers come from some Canadian universities as well, or mostly from the United States?
1: Well, I had offers from almost every single Canadian school uh, to run track and to play football. But the thing is Canadian schools, Canadian sports is behind in so many different categories. Like there's schools from my understanding to this day now don't give full scholarships. Right. And I made it very adamant that I needed to get a full scholarship. I didn't want partial. I didn't want 75 percent. I needed to get the whole thing paid for. And so because the money was better down there and I had more opportunities down there, they weren't going to give me a full year because the schools, they just didn't have the money. So my mm. eyes, my eyes was never to stay in Canada. I knew I needed to go if I wanted to get that full scholarship, because, again, you know, if. If you have a backing where you do have some financial income, you can go to a Canadian school and they'll give you maybe 50%, 60, sometimes 70%, but you still need that 30%. I needed to get a full scholarship because I didn't have that backing. So for me, I, I never intended to stay in Canada.
0: Oh, wow. So why, why, how, how did you come about choosing University of Alabama? Um,
1: well, initially I went to a junior college. Uh, because oh. one of the maths that I took in the ninth grade, the NCAA didn't accept anymore. So, what that means was I was already ruled ineligible. So I couldn't go Division One right away, even if I wanted to. So I had to go to a junior college. Out of high school, I had signed to Florida State University to run fo- uh, to run track and to play football. So I was going to do both. I was going to play F- football.
0: That's FSU yeah. or Florida State Gators, which one?
1: No, uh, Florida Florida Gators. UF is Florida. Oh, Gators. you have to F- go there. No, FSU is Florida State. Oh, FSU. University oh, okay, 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 mm, So yeah, I was yeah, gonna yeah. go, yeah, I was gonna go to FSU. Um, but when I went to uh Barton and I had a rough first year because I was coming off injury, didn't go the way that I wanted to. But the second year I rebounded and I was depending on what event it was, I was either number one or number two in the junior college system. So I was kind of right back to where I left off. So then I started to get recruited by a bunch of different schools. And uh, Florida was one of the schools I got recruited with as well, too. But I picked Alabama because of this. My junior college coach, he learned from two coaches, the Florida State coach, Ken Harden, and the Alabama coach, Coach, uh, coach, coach Matt Cain. And he took philosophies from both of those uh, coaches. So I thought if I ran really well with this coach, I must be able to run much better with one of the people that he learned under. So that was one of the reasons why I went to Alabama. The other reason was I knew the recruiting class that was coming into the Alabama team. I knew we were going to be dangerous. We were going to have a really good squad, a lot of talent. And there's an opportunity there where we could change the history and the culture of Alabama moving forward. Because when I got to Alabama, they were ranked number 63 in the nation. And when I got there after my this first is, this year... Is-
0: Sorry to interject. This is track and field.
1: Track and field. Track and
0: field. Okay. This okay is okay. Solely,
1: solely just track and field. Okay. Um, okay. so when we got to Alabama the year before, they were ranked 63rd. When I got there, along with my other recruiting class, we were we we finished that year number eight in the country. So wow. we stepped up quite a bit and we were able to make Alabama uh, a, a school that you have to look out for, not just in football. But also in track and field.
0: You know, it's very interesting you say that because lately I've just been watching a lot of the world athletics on YouTube, and going all the way back to 2018. You know how YouTube is with the algorithms yeah. and all that. Yeah. So one one of the things that is very interesting is you look at all these other athletes representing countries like Ecuador. I mean, I saw Ecuador in the 2019 2019 something relay relay stuff in Zurich or something like that, and all this other all these athletes representing their different countries are all in the American collegiate system. That is very interesting. I mean, I want to ask you, why does America accept all these people to come into their collegiate system but allow them to still go represent their country and give them full scholarships like you do? What what's what's in it for them?
1: Well man, the NCAA system is one of those systems where uh, America is 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 arguably always going to be the most highly highly washed country in the world because of what they have there. And when you talk about the sporting aspect of things, talking about the NFL, you're talking about the NBA, you're talking about tennis and all these different things. It's all stemmed right there in home base in America. The NCAA system is the, it brings you the most exposure. It brings you the highest competition. It gives you opportunities to test how good that you are and the facilities that each and every school has. I mean, at Alabama, they had just rebuilt their football side, their weight room. They gave a new turf field, new gym, and they remodeled that whole building for over a hundred million dollars. Wow. You're not going to, you're not going to get that type of money anywhere in Canada to, to, to renovate or to remodel it. Any type of school The money is there. The market is there. And it's a system because the NCAA is a business. They don't just look at it as, as, oh, let's just give these guys opportunities to come and go. No, it's a business. If you go there and you are running well or you can catch a football or you can score 30 points a game, it brings more eyes to that school. And when that Mm. brings more eyes to that school, well, now more recruits, people coming in from all different parts of the country are going to say, man, I want to go to that place because I saw so-and-so get 30 points per game and they, the next year, they were drafted in the first round to go to the NBA, right? So now it's like, if I see that, if I go to that school, then maybe I can get, go to the NBA as well too. It's a business, right? And it's just, it's just in the recent couple of years that, that the athletes now are starting to get paid and have the potential to get paid. I think athletes in the NCAA system should have got paid a long time ago because they say it's student athlete, but it's athlete student first, because your schedule is nothing like a student schedule. You're you're really a professional athlete in college running for the school. But the reason why, you know, you can go back and and compete for your country and everything is because once the school year does, once the school year is finished, right, they don't they don't need you anymore to come back. (laughs) <laughs> right? that's what it is so wow. now you can go to your trials and you can go and compete so they don't actually have the have the say in saying oh you can't go back and compete for your country no it's not it's not one of those things once the season is done right then you can you can you can do whatever you want
0: ah uh, it kind of makes sense so for them it's just by bringing outside talent into the system it helps the endowment fund of that university it helps the networks like the acc and the sec and all that stuff right
1: it helps it it helps both parties because then you go there and if you have a good coach good coach will help you get faster and you can create opportunities for yourself right and then you know adidas and all these other sponsors adidas nike's they have reps there as well too right so it goes both ways and it can help both parties so it's a it's a it's a partnership more than anything
0: Mm. so so now let's ask the question that i wanted to ask was the original idea was track and field and american football what happened to american football
1: when i got to barton community college um when i got there i had ca- I, I had called my coach i said coach what's going on man is there uh a... i'm i'm wondering where is the football team you know i know it's football time i want to go and play football and try out for the team and he says, man, like Barton hasn't had a football team since like 1965. Oh, wow. And so when I got there and I realized that they didn't have a football team because I didn't really look where Barton was. I just trusted another coach. Um, They didn't have a football team, so I had to make a decision. Do I go back home or do I try and stick this thing out? So I just stuck out track and field and came back to football later down the road.
0: Uh, so don't tell me you were part of Crimson Tide.
1: No, no, no. It's oh, a little okay. it's it's a little bit different because when both schools is recruiting you, they know they they know what you can do on the field and off the field, or what you can do on the track and off the track. And since I focused solely on track since that time, they didn't know what I was like as a football player. And Nick Saban isn't really one to want his athletes to do more than one sport if you're there for football then you're going to be there for football so there was a little bit of toughness to try to balance both there so i just stuck i just stuck with the one ah
0: i see okay so how did you transition from there to the olympics was it that your achievements at uh, alabama got you on the radar with canada's federation of um, athletics because they' so- we have seen what you were doing down there
1: no. So track is one of those things where man, it's like, it's, it's, it's very universal. If you're running fast, you're running fast. Like uh, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter anything. If you're, <laughs> if you're running, if you're a 14 year old kid running nine, nine, that's universally everywhere. So the way how making an Olympic team works, uh, there's a standard that you have to have back then there was an A standard and a B standard. Now it's just one standard. And so you have to run the A standard say, 100 meter A standard back then it was like 1018. So if you ran 1018 one or two times, and you go to your respective country's trials, and you finish top three, then you will be able to represent your country at the Olympic Games. So it had nothing it wasn't school oriented or nothing like that. If you run the times you're supposed to run, and you get the standard, and you finish the right placing at your trials, you'll go to that to that team at the Olympics. You know, my first Games was 2012, so that was in my junior college days where I just ran the relay, but my second Olympic Games, I had already finished school in 2014, so it was different, but track is very black and white when it comes to being on the track. If you're fast, if you're running well, it eliminates a whole bunch of problems.
0: Mm. Okay, so just wanted to press pause here just for a water break, and Mm. uh, we'll be back. So we're back and uh, with um, Hakim Haynes and uh, continue our conversation. So Hakim, that was a great uh, conversation so far. So the question now that I wanted to ask us is, is: tell tell me about your Olympic career and how that was, especially winning the bronze in 2016 and also participating in 2012. I mean, I mean, if I knew you at that time, I guess I would have turned on CBC and just pay attention to my to my body.
1: <laughs> yeah. So 2012. Um, I was 19 just turned 20 and those games oh, wow, were in wow. those games were in London and mm. I was there as a I was there as an alternate so I didn't get to run but I observed what it was like uh to see people who we may see on TV like you know I I saw Carmelo Anthony I saw LeBron James I saw Serena Williams Gabby Douglas like all the people we see on TV we get to see um but you also understand the Level of stress that it takes to block out the noise. People always ask, like, what is the toughest part about the Olympics? And it's not necessarily the pressure of competing. There's a lot of distractions that can stop you from getting to that start line or getting to that event, right? For example, you may have family coming over. And if it's a country they haven't been to before, you're wondering, man, are they going to be able to get to their hotel okay? Are they going to be able to? to have food? How, how am I going to get them tickets to be able to get there? Like All of these different things where you don't really want to think about. You just want to focus on your competition and what you have to do. So the first game was just a big experience for me. The second game in 2016 in Rio, uh, once you've experienced something the first time, it's not about the experience anymore as much as it about finishing what you said that you wanted to do. The experiences help you. But when you experience something for a second time, you should have a feeling of something you want to do that comes with it. So for me, I wanted to make sure that I was competing at the highest level that I could. I was competing in the open hundred and I did the relay. So. The hundred didn't go as well for me as I wanted to, but we get a second opportunity. And when we got the medal, when we crossed the line, the journey of life, you don't just think about you. I think you get to a point where you get to a certain age or something in life where you start to reflect. And for me, people always ask, what was it like to get the medal? And they're they're always a little, I think they're always a little disappointed in my answer because I didn't think about anything selfish in my component. I thought about, man, all of the people that helped me get to where I am today. That means all the people that said hello to me and didn't know that I was having a tough day. All the times that people, you know, send me words of encouragement or my old school teachers that used to help me making sure that I was going to be able to get eligible to go to classes and to, to graduate on time from high school to this and that. I started to think about every person that poured into me and how I wanted to take this medal and show them, right? And show them that like, man, you know, because of your kindness and your generosity that you invested in me in some way, shape or form that I was able to come here and I didn't waste it. You know so I'm a I'm a person, man, that if if you invest in me or I see you fighting for me in some capacity, like I'm not gonna take that for granted because I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that people don't have to listen to you, people don't have to care about you, but the fact that they do and they invested in some capacity, man, like I'm like, man, I gotta I gotta take this seriously and I gotta give you a little bit of return on your investment in some capacity. So for me that's what that represented man i can count on one t- i can count on one hand how many times i've looked at the medal on my own accord because the medal is much bigger than me man I, I i know the memories i have the stories but again maybe it's something that that i'll enjoy a lot more 15 years down the road when i'm talking to you know uh uh my kids about it but i was just grateful that like man i can go and show the people that have helped me and that's what that kind of represented to me when I got the medal. Of course, the experience was great, you know, competing against the best of the best in the world, right? You're on national television to all these different countries. But when you reach a certain pinnacle, man, you think about the journey that helped you get there, because in life, there's a lot of downs before you start to go up.
0: Mm. To, 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 to realize that 2016, that was, uh, Usain Bolt was, uh, Bolt was on the scene then. All, Blake. All, the <laughs> the scene, all the heavy
1: hitters was on so, the scene all the heavy hitters was on the scene
0: so if if i'm to if i'm to speculate 2016 i'm sure jamaica was first america was second canada was third am i correct
1: jamaica first uh the japanese second japanese yeah they no they, way yeah we can they yeah we can't take the japanese for granted they have a very good system over there in the relay everything is precise everything is efficient yeah they they have a lot of good talent over there and they're only getting better
0: where was america i thought america is always like in relays america's always top there
1: so america actually finished ahead of us so when the race finished we actually got fourth but they got but they got disqualified And we got and we moved up to third. So America technically did finish third, but they got disqualified. So we finished third instead of fourth.
0: Oh, I see. So there were were two terms that you used there that I wanted to get clarification. What does open 100 mean? And what does alternate
1: mean? So open 100 just means you're running the individual event, right? So you're running the, the, the open 100 meters. So you're just running the individual event for 100 meters.
0: Okay, And, okay. Got and, it. Got and
1: it. an alternate means only four people can run on the four by one. So an alternate is someone who if somebody gets hurt or something happens, then the alternate will replace the person who was hurt. So it's more of just like having backup runners to help just in case.
0: That's interesting you say that because yesterday, as I said, I was watching YouTube, I guess maybe. My spirit was like, you're about to have a conversation with Olympian. So watch some things about uh, uh, the uh, world, world, Athlet- world athletics, sorry. And in the one that, the one that I watched the, the, the British team, their their what's the person that takes the final leg? Anchor. Anchor. Thank you. I think their anchor or their lead runner pulled a muscle even before they, even before, like, you know, when the, the athletes are on the track and they're about to say, get set, ready, go. Why didn't they alternate? Why didn't they just replace the alternate? Why did they just say England? or sorry, they call them. I think they call them Great Britain when they're representing Great their Britain, country. Yeah. yeah, Why didn't Great Britain just bring an alternate to replace that one person?
1: I'm sure they did. Every 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 country probably has six six to seven people, but when you're already on the track, it's too late. If you're already if if you're already on the track and the race is about to start, it's too late. You don't have that much time to be able to call someone down and to say you know what run instead of us because four go into the call room right and so you can't take all six with you only four can go with you so my interpretation of that was maybe they got to the race and maybe something just happened during the race but by then it was already too late
0: and also maybe also from a mental perspective you already prepared your mind mentally yep. It's not like basketball and stuff where you're sitting down there and the coach points at you and you just pull your joggers and jump into the game because even you on the bench have already prepared your mind that I'm gonna play at some, yeah. t- at some at some point at some point in time in this game,
1: and it's a major championship too, right? So you may not get this opportunity again, so you don't want to go back and say, you know what, I did feel a little nick and knack here, but I wondered if I could have went, All right? So you always have those thoughts, but you also want to make sure. I went and I really couldn't go, but at least now, you know, rather than saying, you know what? I was a little banged up, but I probably could have went. But at least if you were banged up now, you know, if you could have went or not. So it's a, it's a, it's a decision made by the athletes, but I will say this, if it's a major championship like that, the athlete is always going to try to go regardless of the fact. So it happens, man. It's part of the sport.
0: Imagine if I was part of that team and then that guy couldn't go and then because of that, we couldn't run. When we get back to the locker room, I'm just going to be sitting across the, the, the bench like looking at you like, oh, seriously?
1: Yeah, that happens. <laughs> that, that happens. That happens a lot.
0: Yeah. So how, how, how has uh, winning the bronze medal changed your life and your career?
1: Um, I, uh, I wouldn't say change anything only thing that is only thing that has changed is the fact that now i have the olympic title next to my name and i have a medal that comes with it but it but if you're talking about from a business aspect of things or financial gain no that's not the case because the medal put it let me use an example let me use an illustration if there's there was a guy uh his name is something zango uh he's a he's a long jumper Zango is a long jumper for I want to say the country of Togo if i remember correctly. He got he got silver or bronze at the same Olympic games in 2016. No, i lied. At the 2020 2020 yeah, 2020 Olympic games and he got a medal. He is the first in his country to get a medal. Um first in his country to represent to get a medal. There was another guy, he's the long. He's a, he's a javelin thrower uh, for India, and he was the first Indian uh, person of descent to ever get an Olympic gold medal. Those two lives will be changed and impacted forever. They will never have to pay for a single thing in their country. They will be taken care of in their country for the rest of their life. It's not like that in certain parts of the world, especially not in Canada especially not in a sport of track and field, right? Some of the best people on the team, they don't train in Canada. It's hard because the facilities are good, but if you can go to a place where you can train in the heat year round, you're going to take that opportunity. So if we're talking about my life changing too much from winning the Olympics or getting Olympic medal, no, man, I would be lying to say if it did. And I'm not one of those people to say, oh, my life magnificently took off in that capacity. No, it's just it's just like an added accomplishment that helps open up different doors in moments. But you still have to be the person to keep that door open and to make sure that you execute in whatever you do once you get into that door. But I wouldn't say my life has changed um, in the capacity just because I won a medal.
0: Wow, I won't lie. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to to hear that. I, I think for me, I was expecting that, man, by winning the Olympics, man, there was a level of respect and things that like that. But, you know, I think it comes back to your mentality. I mean, if if uh, I know a little bit about your story, which I'm about to ask now, um, you know, you've come from some very tough situations and built yourself up to where you've gotten to. So it doesn't surprise me of your response. But I thought most people that win the Olympics, it's the pinnacle, like Usain Bolt. I mean, today he's got other things that he's doing even after he's retired. And we all keep on talking about the same goal. So that's what I was about. That's that's what I thought probably uh, the Olympics or winning the bronze medal did for you as well.
1: Here's what it'll do. That's because I'm glad you went there. The Olympics is the pinnacle moment for amateur sports and track and field is an amateur sport. Um, But it is not, it is going to be your biggest pay year if you do other things with it so just winning a gold medal that's 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 thirty thousand dollars maybe maybe it has changed but thirty thousand dollars
0: from the canadian federation
1: uh not from the canadian federation you don't get nothing from the canadian federation man that that is from world world athletics uh canada canada does have funding for uh, their athletes in certain tiers there's three tiers for it but you get thirty thousand dollars But if you win gold, now you will be able to go on certain shows, depending on what country you are, be able to go on certain shows. You'll be able to promote your stuff. And everybody wants to be attached to the winner, right? So more sponsorship opportunities. But track and field athletes, with the exception of that year, of an Olympic year, make way more money away from the sport than they do inside of the sport. Usain Bolt has... Usain's sponsors from Puma and his watch sponsor and this and that he's made more sponsorship money in his career than he has made money actually running track and field. He still commands a lot of money, but the generation, the, 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 general thought of his income has came from sponsorships more than it does in the sport of track and field, um, so that is another misconception that people think there's a lot of people you will see at the Olympic Games. And you may say, man, they must be they must be doing OK. They must be financially stable. There's a lot of people who are three time Olympians, four time Olympians, record holders in their country who are not doing as well as you think. And some of them are struggling. Right. So it, it, hmm. it, it is it is not like the NBA. It's not like the NFL where these contracts are, you know, dang near six figures for the lowest tier. There are Mm. some track and field athletes who are struggling to get by, you know, so it, it, you have to uh, look at it from the whole spectrum of it, but really when you're, when you're in it, do you get to see how everything works, man?
0: Wow. Okay. So let's transition here to a a word in your bio that really gets at me. Homelessness, man. I mean, (laughs) how did that happen and how have you transitioned and, because, man, I have never experienced homelessness before, but um, I've heard of people that have gone through it and how sometimes you can really stay there and just be stuck. There was a podcast I listened to of um, Conversations with Tyler, and he interviewed a guy in New York who is a homeless and says he wants to be homeless. And the reason why he came on the show is because New York just passed a law that if you do not accept uh, the accommodations offered that are provided to you by the state, you could actually be incarcerated. So he wow. he's really he's really been lobbying to say, "What about my freedom of just being wanting to be out in space, as he calls it?" So how did that happen for you? I mean, I know you your bio you came from Jamaica to first of all to the Northwest Territories, <laughs> like that is going from
1: Boy, I've I never been to Jamaica. To,
0: yeah, yeah I, I mean Jamaica. All I think about Jamaica is reggae life openness and stuff and then you're going to a a place that is quite quite isolated So, so 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 tell me how that transition happened and all that that's that's an amazing story
1: yeah i mean i mean there's danger in every single country man every every country every area has 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 rough patches and everything you just explained absolutely is there in jamaica but there's always more to the story man and and you know my upbringing i grew up in a rough area and my my mom and my dad, you know, my dad was like, you know, man, Akeem can be a million and one things in a different country, but if he stays here, he, he's limited, right? So my my dad, uh, for a year straight, he just worked and worked and worked and worked and saved up money, um, never took a day off. He just saved up much money. And he was like, okay, look, you two go um, and we'll figure he didn't out. The join rest. you guys. Like, no, he didn't. He didn't. Wow. Um, wow. So my mom and I came to Yellowknife, my 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 mom's brother, he was in the army up here and he was stationed in Yellowknife. So that was our way into Canada. I mean, in the early 90s, you just needed somebody to be in the country to get into the country. Right. So from Yellowknife, then we came to Calgary. And here's the thing about life. Right. You always have your plans. And you always expect your plans to go exactly how you expect it to. And you never really anticipate for certain things to happen until it happens. Right. Sometimes we're blinded by our own optimism that we forget the reality that we're not controlling everything. So when we came to Calgary, um, you know, we were staying we were staying with this person. And I remember coming home one day and it was minus minus 24, 25, man. It was very cold outside. It was the middle (laughs) of winter time. (laughs) <laughs> and I came home from school and I saw like three different garbage bags, like at the entrance of the door. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I know we didn't eat this much food in the span of like a day. Like this doesn't make any sense. But the closer I got to the garbage bags, I realized, wait a minute, like these are, these are my, these are my clothes. I saw my hat, I saw my shirt, I'm Like, man, what's, what's going on here. Right. And I see my mom coming downstairs and I was like, mom, what's going on? And she says, Akeem, go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff. We gotta go. I'm like, mom, what are you what are you talking about? It's minus 24 outside. Like I know it's minus 24 because I just felt it. Like, what are you talking about? Go upstairs and get the rest of my stuff. And she said Akeem, don't argue with me. Just go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff.
0: Sorry, sir. How and how old are you at this age, at this time?
1: Just about to go into that. And oh, okay. And at 14 years old, you my mom and oh, I, wow. I were walking. Oh, wow. Uh, walking to the bus stop, homeless. Um, I had my jacket on. I had one bag, one garbage bag in the other, both hands garbage bag. My mom had two garbage bags, and we were just walking and just walking and just walking. And then we got to this uh, this bus stop, and the bus stop was one of those glass bus stops, and it had coverings on it. So we went into the bus stop, and I remember asking my mom, I was like, Mom, what, what are we doing? Like, where are we going from here? And I remember it because she didn't look at me because she didn't have an answer and she felt like she felt like she failed as a mom she felt like she failed the plan that we were supposed to have right and the 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 thing is you uh people always ask me what is the hardest part about being homeless and don't get me wrong the physical part absolutely is tough i didn't know when my next meal was going to come from man i used to go to school early in the morning and brush my teeth in the bathroom and i used to wash myself up in the bathroom and that's how I would claim myself. And I would go to school as if nothing happened. Nobody knew, nobody asked, but that's what I would do. But the hardest part about it, man, and, and, and it's something that I will always, always uh, have to really dial in because in everywhere in life, no matter where we go, there we are. Meaning the old us is always going to be there. And the hardest part was believing every single day that I could still do great things with my life, that there was still a purpose for my life, that I could still do great things in this world, even though my situation didn't look like it. But even in the midst of that dark moment, man, I learned the power of gratitude. And as I started this show where I said, I'm always grateful, I was Mm -hmm. grateful in that situation because I didn't have to go through it alone. I didn't know what, I didn't know if I would be here today if my mom wasn't there with me. I was grateful that I had a jacket. I was grateful that I had shoes. I was grateful that that bus stop helped some of the wind and the coldness that was coming in. And in that darkness of pain, man, I realized that our greatest greatest weapon to finding encouragement and to keeping hope alive is to find gratitude in the smallest of things because that's what helps gives us momentum, man. So that's kind of the story of, of that. And I will say during that time, man, my uh, uh, my faith was fortified and tested to the absolute mass. And, and, and that helped me as well.
0: Wow. So, okay. So sorry if I'm going to stay here. You're walking to that bus stop. You sit down in that bus stop. I know how the bus stops are like in Calgary. I don't know how it was when you were 14. That's probably maybe 20 years ago, maybe, or 15 years ago, let's say. So t- t- take me to from that bus stop going to school. How did you guys come out of that? Because I- I've seen a picture of your mom. I Googled you, of course, and-, and saw an image of your mom. And I was like, wow. I didn't know that it was only you and your mom that came to Canada. I thought it was like a whole family and mom and dad and all that. So so how did
1: you guys get out of it? So we had, um, we had a person uh, and... I didn't know him very well by no means, but his mom and my mom, they met a couple of times and they spoke a little bit, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know them by any means, but my mom was like, man, we have to do something and we have to try something. So my mom actually called up, called her up and she was gracious enough and uh, giving enough to take us into her home. And she also had, for other kids inside the home as well too and so for a couple years man we stayed in their basement um on a mattress and that's that's how we got through that situation until my mom got back on her feet so uh that that lady took us in and she is now the godmother of both of my siblings
0: wow (laughs) so why did you guys leave yellow knife in the first place
1: uh because your, your your mom's
0: your mom your mom's brother is dead there's no way your mom's brother is gonna sorry <laughs> it's a better situation i, I mean I, I'm, I'm yeah I'm guessing.
1: you know you outgrow certain places and if you've been to Yellowknife, man Yellowknife is a place where you go to and maybe you're trying to make some money but it's not a place that you want to stay it was always a starting point it was never supposed to be a place that we stayed at forever And if we would have stayed in Yellowknife, I would not have been able to accomplish anything like how I was able to if I didn't move. There's just not much there. And so that is why we left. It was time for a change. It was time for something different. And it was time to continue growing. So that's why we left Yellowknife. Hmm.
0: I mean, I've never been to Yellowknife, but I've had stories, as, you know, how people are here when they finish university, they, they go up there to work for two years and make that extra isolation. I think they call it isolation payments or something like that. I mean, how, how was it like living in Yellowknife as a young person? Were you able to make friends? I mean, there's probably maybe only 3000 people living in your community based on what I hear. So yeah, li- life must have been rough from a social perspective.
1: Um it was because well just at the beginning because i had i had uh uh it wasn't just my uncle there my uncle's um uh uh his his wife's family was there as well too so i had cousins and stuff there and Mm. what yellow knife man we played the my memories from there is i played a lot of soccer um on the snow no indoor, indoor <laughs> oh indoor. Okay. yeah okay. indoor soccer yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. so the way the the way the weather works in Yellowknife is it's it's cold absolutely all that stuff you hear absolutely but you know like anywhere in canada it it, it, it doesn't snow forever right but in the winter time the hardest part about it is you know it's it's generally always dark you mm. know i would i would wake up in the darkness and i would come home from school in the darkness Right. Because it would get dark at like three thirty four o'clock. Wow. Right. And in the summertime, it's the opposite. It would be it would be the sun would be up almost 16, 18, 19 hours of the day. Right. So I just remember, man, playing a whole bunch of soccer and just playing soccer with friends. And in the summertime, one of my favorite memories is that we would always host this thing called the World Cup right? And we would play at different fields throughout the city of Yellowknife. <laughs> and you would you would get drafted to a certain team, Team Jamaica, Team Canada, Team Australia, and you would play soccer summer round. But it would keep the excitement in it because you would have the community coming to watch your games, right? So that's what I remember most about Yellowknife, man. A lot of soccer um, and uh, just just the weather and how much it fluctuates. But uh, Yellowknife wasn't the worst starting place, but it's not a place that 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 you want to stay there for long if you want to do other things with your life.
0: Have Have you been back since you left?
1: I went back in 2016 when I got the medal uh, wow. to show to show some of my old teachers and to show the community there to show some of the kids there. So that was the last time I've been back.
0: You, you are really big on gratitude, man. I mean, for you to go back to Yellowknife with that medal, I guess it was to just say thanks to people that were part of your development.
1: I'm a firm believer, man, of two things. Uh, hope needs to be seen and shown, and representation matters. And so I want it to be the hope of someone to say, man, you know, if Akeem can do it or if Akeem could get out of here, like, you know, it's possible. And I also wanted to say, it doesn't matter what you see. If you can have a thought behind it, if you can believe it, you know you have to work hard. Hard work is a prerequisite to everything, so we should always just include that. But I wanted to represent something bigger than myself. I wanted to represent hope, and I wanted to go there. I didn't have to. I didn't't mm, we, we don't have to do anything in life, but we get to and we get to choose. So I wanted to go back. And I wanted to share it because I understand that if I was to just keep it from myself, that it, that, that it would just be a selfish act for me. That's my opinion. I wouldn't wrong anybody to go back if they never want to go back to those places or none of that, that's your decision. But for me, I needed, I wanted to go back because it was much, much, much bigger than me, man.
0: Mm. So I think it's a good way to transition to what you're currently doing right now. How did you, start doing what you're doing now by being a, a renowned motivational speaker here in Canada and uh, going on your website and seeing all those organizations that you're spoken at how, how did that come about because um it shows that you're entrepreneurial so
1: man I I I, I took a pub I, I took a public speaking class in college and I hated it oh I hated. it <laughs> I was just like yeah I'm not uh, this isn't for me um but I believe God puts a purpose inside of everybody, man. And and our purpose here is to is to leave this world off a little better than how we found it. How can we use our gifts and our talents to, to bring hope and to shine light and to make the path a little bit easier for those coming behind us and in front of us? And I know that my story has a lot of ups and has a lot of downs. And I know that I'm not the only one to have similar contrasts of stories. And so I wanted to represent Hope, man. I believe there's a there's a spirit and the essence and the presence about every single person. I'm sure you know people who 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 you mentioned their name UI and you're just like, oh man, I, I don't really care for this person too much. I don't really want to talk to them <laughs> like that. But then we also know someone else who were are just like, man, I'm really glad we had that conversation. I really enjoy talking to this person. And so I've mm-hmm. always been like, How can I be more like that person in every area of my life? So when I started speaking, man. Um it 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 gave me a feeling that I was making a difference in the world and I was making an impact and I was helping lives. And the one time that I actually was like, you know what, this, this, this could be something here. Because again, being a speaker and the business of it are they're one and the same, but they're two different things. And I remember I went to go speak at the school, and I spoke at this school. And it was good. I felt like it was a good engagement. But this is when I went full time into it. Um, I wasn't making what, a lot.
0: What 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 year was that? Two thousand and eighteen. Two
1: thousand and eighteen. Okay. Okay. And because I retired in two thousand seventeen, I started speaking full time two thousand eighteen. But in my first year, I wasn't making any money. And I went to go speak at the school. And I remember every every Sunday I go for. I go for a walk and I go for a walk and I just really just try and listen to my thoughts and listening, just get in tune with myself and to see what's going on. Plus going outside, enjoy the wind, enjoy the presence of people. And I remember on this particular Sunday, I went out for a walk and I never really bring my phone with me. But on this day, like I must have forgotten that my phone was in my pocket and I was sitting at this bench and I was really starting to think about like, man, like the money that I had from sport is dwindling. I was like, man, this is a lot harder than how I thought it was going to be. I wasn't I didn't know where to start. I didn't have anybody who wanted to who who wanted to do it in the way how I wanted to do it. I just didn't have anything. And I was like, man, I was really lost. And I remember I was sitting there and I was like, God, man, you got to give me a sign. Like, if this is what you want me to do or what I believe you call me to do, you got to help me because I'm not I'm not I'm not following right now. And my phone get, got vibrated, and I got a notification, and I got a I got a direct message on Instagram, and it was from it was from a young man who was at that school presentation, and he said, uh, "Hey, Akeem, you don't know me, um, but I was at that presentation, and I just wanted to share something with you." And he said, um, "I was about to take my life that week," mm. and he said, "But I heard that there was a speaker from Calgary coming in, and he was." Olympian and he had a tough upbringing and I wanted to go and see what what made someone like your story as tough as you had it like what kept you going I wanted to know what that was about and he said I wasn't going in um with any intention of changing what I was planning to going to do and he said when I heard how your story of how uh you you had the smallest amount of faith and hope that kept you going I said you know what Maybe my life is a little bit worth more fighting for. And he was explaining to me how he got into that dark place. His, his mom and dad got a divorce and it's just all these different things. But he said, man, you made me want to keep fighting. And that was a sign that I got that I was like, you know what, Akim, I think you're on the right path here. Even if you don't have all the answers, I think you're on the right path. And oh, since yeah. that day, Um, I remember those days when I feel like, man, I can't figure this out that I remember, like, you know what? You can figure it out. You're on the right path. So that is the backstory of why I do what I do now, man.
0: Wow. Okay. So we're going to take a final water break and have the last bit of this conversation on the other side. Okay. Right. So we are back again with, uh, Akim Haynes, uh, a motivational speaker, Olympian with Canada, and many other things. So, Akim, you were talking about this man that listened to your conversation in that classroom or in that uh, school, and because of what you said, inadvertently you, you saved a life. I think one thing that was going through my mind was, why did you decide to go into this field? What 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 inspired you or what motivated you? Or pricked your interest to say, this is the way I want to spend and probably give back to society in your own way.
1: Yeah, man, I would say, um, if it was up to me, um, I wouldn't do it. Um, I'm not a person that likes to, I'm not a person that likes the eyes. I'm not a spotlight person. I like to, you know, I, 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 I like to come in through the back door, put the hoodie up and to just sit in the back and to just observe, you know, but, but when God calls you to do something or when God calls you to make uh, 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 to make a difference in some capacity, then you have to let how you think you can make an impact or what you should do and lay that down and do things a little bit differently. If I didn't think that this was a purpose that he put inside of me, man, I would do something else. I promise you I would, you know. And for me, I've always been good with words. I've always been good with creating stories. I've always been good with uh, different vernaculars and, you know, putting words together, forming anything. And so the best way that I know that make things relatable and can provide hope is through stories, through storytelling. And so for me, I wanted to put the gift and the purpose and align them. And that's what got me in this field, because there's a lot of people in this world, man, who are look at it this way. There's a lot of, you know, when when you get a physical cut, right, like you can see it it's bleeding, it, it, it stings. You can see a physical cut, but there's a lot of people in this world who are cut and they're bleeding, but you can't see the wound. It's internal. Uh, it's uh. coming through different things. And so for me, I believe that my story and my life is extremely relatable because I don't come from anything as a perfect person never once said that I was perfect, nor do I want to be perfect. I come from it from someone who understands loss, who understands pain, who understands discouragement, who understands sadness, who understands depression, who understand what it's like for, you know, to be praying and feeling like your answer is you, God's not hearing you. Like I come from it from a relatable and real life things. And if I can use that and pull out stories of hope through my experiences and it helps someone, then isn't that what the world is about, man? Isn't that what life is about? Being a light for others as we are sharing our deepest things to help someone else? Yeah, of course. Who doesn't want to never have to worry about finances ever again? But if everything we do is just about financial gain, we really here to make the world a better place? Are we really here to impact and to change lives and to really meet people at their core? Or are we just doing things just to get the upper hand? So when I speak, I speak for all people. When I speak, I speak to reach all people. There's that saying, man, where you know if my story can just help one person or this i don't want to reach one person i don't think none of us should try to just reach one person or one people we can reach many people because our stories is relatable it may not be relatable to someone that you know but perhaps somebody else and so mm-hmm. that's why that's why i'm in this space um and that's why i'm 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 continuing to to do my part to try and leave the world a little better off than how i came in Mm,
0: mm. so i was funny enough i was about to say if there's one person out there but i'm not going to use that we reach many (laughs) many so if there are many people that are (laughs) listening to this conversation and are interested in getting into the motivational speaking circuit what's your advice to them
1: yeah that's great man um you know i have a i have a couple people who who I mentor in that capacity as well too, and I tell them, look, if you're trying to speak, you have to know what's the real objective, right? Like, be honest with yourself. Are you trying to impact, or trying to make lives, or trying to share certain things, or do you just want to make a couple of dollars on the side, right? Be honest from the jump. There's no wrong answer. I I've known I've known people who have really just gotten to the speaking space not really to make a difference but because it'll make their brand a little bit better and it'll add that extra tier of financial gain, which is fine, right? You you can never tell someone they're doing something for the wrong reasons. It's it's their reason. But I always tell people, what is the real reason why you want to get into it and be honest with yourself. So that's one, because it's not a space where you want to get into and expect to see certain things happen for you right away, right? The other thing that I would say is whatever you're trying to speak about, make sure it is your life and make sure you know how, make sure that's how you're living your life. Right. Sure. If you didn't, if you didn't grow up in the hood, don't talk about the hood. Cause people will know <laughs> if you, if, if you didn't struggle in certain areas, don't talk about you struggling in those areas. Cause people are going to know because every person, what I realize, you, why every person didn't grow up the way that I grew up. Every person didn't have the hardships that I had. So they may not be able to relate to that aspect of it, but there's things along the journey of my story that they may be relatable to, right? So make sure that your story is authentic to yourself and it is your life. So those are the first two things that I would say. And the second thing that I would say is, man, swallow the ego, swallow the pride and go and ask, try and get somebody to shadow them try and get to a place where if you know someone speaking, say, hey, man, I know you're speaking here. Would you mind if I maybe come to your engagement? Right. Like, would that be OK? I don't want anything. I just want to sit in to see how you're going about it. Right. Because if you can see how someone is doing it, then it'll give you an understanding of how you could do it or maybe you want to do it another way. So I would say those things. Um, and there's a lot of couple other small details. But the other thing, too, as well is like, man, you really want to learn the business of speaking, because uh, uh, if if you don't learn the business of it, you may not be able to make as much impact in it because you 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 also want to make sure that you. That you can actually run a formidable business so you can continue to do other things. So um, those are a couple things that I would say, man, there's a lot of small, intricate parts, but got to make sure that your heart is in the right place. And definitely make sure that you are telling your story and not somebody else's.
0: Mm. So, since we are both speaking from Canada, and there are many people out there that listening to this conversation that are based in Canada, the the speaking, the motivational speaking circuits, and the the big speaking circuits, most names are from the United States.
1: Hundred percent.
0: We got the Les Miles. We got the got. We got the Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn. Even though some of them are are, are no longer with us now. How is it like in Canada? Is there, is, is, is there a big market for motivational speaking here or the speaking circuit here? Or if you want to make it, you have to go to the US?
1: Yeah, it's definitely two different markets, right? The American market, not just America, but other parts of the world too, but mainly America, they value things like personal development and mental health a lot more, right? So they are willing to pay people to come in to give a message that they may not be able to give the team because you see the same people every day. And, 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 and it's sometimes you just need to hear from somebody else. Mm, Right. mm. So the market in America is more susceptible to bringing in speakers, to bringing in people, because we all need a little bit of inspiration. We all need a little bit of motivation. No person is ready to do something every single day. You need a little bit of something. Sometimes to get you through that rut or to help sustain you and keep you going. What I found, UI, is that Canada is not really like that. It is it is a little harder in the Canadian space because their values are a little bit different, right? So it's knowing that there still is a market for it, but you just got to know how to maneuver through it and and deciding how to go about it. But it is, a, it is a tough space, but that doesn't mean that you can't break through. And when you're trying to do things the right way, and you're trying to be authentic to yourself and true to yourself, uh, it, it's often going to take a little bit longer for it to click and come together.
0: The, the, the big guys out there, do they have agents that uh, bring opportunities to them or you, they also it out on their own?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so, so uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of both until you get to that stage. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm with two agencies right now. Um, there's a couple of agencies in Canada. There's obviously a lot more in America, but, Still the greatest, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, the 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 greatest um, marketing is word of mouth. You know, that's where it comes (laughs) from the most. And I've been I've been grateful in that sense where uh, word of mouth has been has gotten me the most speaking engagements. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's because every place that I go to, like I try and really over deliver. Right. Mm. If they say they want this, I try and over deliver on every single thing that I do, because you never know where opportunity is going to come from. You don't know who is in that room. And so when you get into that room, you got to make sure that you are providing every single thing that the business, the school, the corporation that they want. You may have a certain message inside of your head of what the people may need or what this and that. But this is the other switch that I learned as well, too. When you're going up to go speak, it's not about you. It's about providing what they want and need and what they're asking you to try to deliver. Then you have to cater your presentation, your speech to what they want and they need, because they're the ones saying, I want to bring in Akeem's. I need you to talk about um, how to get them to maybe buy into a new system, how to deal with transition, how to deal with change. Well, you have to corporate your message to deliver on transition and change. And sometimes I found that some speakers come in and they just say, you know what, I'm going to give you guys this message. That's what you wanted. It's not what they needed.
0: Mm, mm. So so under Akeem Inspires, that's the name of the company, right?
1: AK inspires.
0: Yes. Okay. okay, AK inspires. So under AK inspires, is it only motivational speaking or there's other things you do with that company?
1: Yeah. So there's other things that I do with it. Um, it's speaking, um, it's, it's a mentorship program that I've started as well too. Um, it is a, a, a one-on-one speaking coaching platform that I have as well too. So a bunch of different things with it. Um, but, but I plan on creating, other ventures off of the name AK inspires like i want to have a sports coaching aspect of things as well too
0: i saw that on your website actually
1: yeah yeah so right now i have uh, um i have a couple people that were working from sprints acceleration and speed for different sports uh so you know we're we're, we're branching it off in different things i'm gonna I'm, I'm working on later down the road i also want to have AK media which will be a media platform as well too for podcast networks, and for uh, uh, sports broadcasting, so things like that. So I have a plan for it down the road. It's just making sure that I do all that I need to right now so that plan gets a little bit easier to unfold.
0: Yeah, speaking about it, you've got a podcast as well. So the podcast, is it strictly... About motivational speaking and sports, or is it strictly sorry? Is it strictly motivational speaking and sports, or do you have different themes that you try to use the podcast to 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 bring to your audience?
1: Yeah, so unscripted, man. It's um, it's called unscripted with Akeem Haynes. Um, as of last week, we just partnered with a uh, with a network called Believe. But essentially, man, the podcast is I have conversation with professional from all walks of life. And throughout my time, man, I've always seen people tell the stories what it's like at the top of the mountain when things are going well and this and that. But I've always been more intrigued with the journey of it and the process of it, because hope can be hope can die in the process. People always talk about, oh, you have to you know, we know we're going to have to wait for certain things to come together. But hope can also die in the wait too. the dream can die in the wait. And so when I have my guests on, yeah, we talk about The highlights of their business, their space, wherever that profession may be. But I'm very practical. I realize in life, people will tell you what to do. They'll tell you why to do it. They may tell you when, but they'll never really share how to do it or how they got through it. And so my show, man, we go through the whole thing, right? We're going through, okay, well, when you didn't, when you didn't, uh, when you had a setback over here, Right, how did you get yourself out of that setback? Were you reading a book? Were you listening to a podcast? Like what was a day-to-day like? Like how did you stay hopeful when it was so dark? Like we get to the core of how you keep going. How did you stay encouraged? And so the podcast is about that. We really get to the part of the fact of like man, I wanted to quit 3 years ago, but I found the strength to keep going. Well, how did you get there? I want to know how. Because that is the part that is going to help someone who is maybe, maybe they're an entrepreneur and, and, and they've struggled with certain businesses and this one business they believe in so much and they just don't know how to keep going. Perhaps there's information how their situation maybe can help them through there, right? So depending on who it is, man, I just really want to provide hope, but practical hope of what it can look like from point A to point Z. It's practical tips that can help everyday people in any situation. You don't have to be a professional athlete. None of that. It's going to help you in some capacity while giving you a little bit of hope to keep going, man.
0: Uh, You'll be very generous with your time. I just have two more questions to ask you, and then we can wrap up here. Um, My second to last question is, I mean, I would presume that during the stage or during the period of homelessness, that was probably one of the biggest downsides or failures or something that you went through. I'm very big on failures. I'm very big on how people come out of those failures. And I'm very big on inspiration, which is similar to you. So would you say that was the big one or there's another one that I don't know of that um, that you can share and how you came out of that?
1: Uh, no, man, I've, I've, I've failed a lot of times in my life since then. Um, you know, probably the most most recent one, man, is I I think we all want to make sure, and it's not necessarily a physical thing, but it's more of a mental thing. We all want to make sure that we are making the right decision, right? And sometimes we don't know what the right decision is until we actually make the decision and we go through it. And I think as men, a lot of times there is so much pressure on men to do many different things, but to 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 be to be positive when things aren't going so well, to be encouraging when we need the encouragement, all these different things that I think uh, uh women are open enough to talk about certain things, but men aren't as much. We don't do it as much. And so for me, man, my biggest thing has always been, man, am I making the right decision? Because the reality is, in that moment, I don't know if I am. I'm a person who I do research from point A to point Z. I make sure I have all of my things in order, but am I making the right decision? And there's been times where I acted out of emotion, and it wasn't the right decision. Prime example I'll give when I started my first, when I wrote my first book, um, Love, Life, and Legacy. Behind me here, when I wrote that first book, um, I was in college. And I didn't I didn't know anybody who wrote a book before. I didn't know anything about publishing a book. I didn't know anything. I was just figuring it out as I went. One of my friends at the time, he wrote a book as well, too. So I kind of was getting ideas from him just to see how he did it. But I didn't have much money for it. So what I did was I had an old English teacher who she was an English teacher. And I figured, well, this is a, this is an English book. She's an English teacher she should be able to be able to to help me correct the book, all my spelling mistakes and this and that. And it was free. So I was trying to save money and I had already read the book like 15, 20 times over. Right. So when everything was published, one of my friends, she came and she got the copy. And when she got home, she read about like 50, 60 pages. And she said, um, Keem, there's there's spelling mistakes in the book.
0: I'm like, oh, what no. you?
1: I'm like, what are you talking about? You mean no. the book I just wrote? Like the book Jeez. I spent so much time, she's like, I was like, what page are the spelling mistakes at? And she goes and she shows me, and I was like, Oh man, she is not lying. You see, what had happened was when you are reading your work, you fill in the blanks on your own. Because mm. you know, you know what's supposed to be there. True. And so true. and so when I allowed her. to to correct it for me she was coming it from a teacher's perspective and not someone who has written books not from someone who this is their sole job and their sole focus right and so I cut a corner there because I was trying to save money I didn't have much money and I cut a corner there but my next question I asked her I said but can you still understand what I'm saying and she said absolutely the book is still powerful it's still speaking volume and I said okay and I sat with that for like a week, man. I was, I was, I was like, man, this is. There's 60, 70 copies out there right now with spelling mistakes, and I was like, man, these people are gonna say, "Oh, bro, what are you doing? You shouldn't have done that, this and that." But to this day, I left the mistakes. I haven't changed it. I can change it, but I left them, and I left them because that was my starting point. That was where I was. And so the next one, that's not where I was going to be. So I made better adjustments and I hired an editor. I never had that problem. But when we look at mistakes in life, man, and that's just one, and I've had many. Mistakes never feel good at the beginning. And it's never something that makes us feel encouraged. But it's either something that keeps us stuck in that same position or it's something that we grow and learn from. And it takes time to grow into it. And so I've always just tried to grow in from what didn't work and just try and do better when I know better. Sometimes we make mistakes because we don't know better. And the only time we learn from it is when we make the mistake and now we can say, you know what, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that again. And so I've always tried to try to learn from what didn't work. And rather than calling it a mistake per se, I say, you know what, man, that was a very good character building lesson. <laughs>
0: Man, you are mentally strong to leave those uh, spelling errors still there. I mean, typically people will just recall the book and just make the changes and maybe rebrand it as edition two. Yeah. Or vol- or, you know, but you've just left it there. That's, wow, that's powerful. Um, so my last question down is uh, if um, failure was not an option, what, what audacious dream or goal out there would you tackle? If you know that you're not going to fail.
1: Uh, apart from apart from what I'm doing now, man, um, that's a that's such a great question, man. Because I I always expect a setback at some point. Like I always Because to me, in my mind, I I I pre ready myself for that to come, so I can handle it accordingly. And so, to be honest, you I, I don't know if I could do something freely and not expect something to come and for me to make an adjustment. And that's just me being honest. I don't know what I would do if I could do it so freely because I'm just like, man, you know, sometimes a little friction is good. You know, in track and field, man, you know, you're running 100 meters, right? And you cannot control the wind. Sometimes the wind works with you. You may get a a tailwind. A tailwind means that there's wind coming in the direction you're going. But sometimes there's a headwind and hmm. what for our listeners, a headwind is when uh, a wind is coming against you and coming in your face, coming against oh. the direction that you're okay. running okay. in. But sometimes you run faster into the headwind. Hmm. It, doesn't al- it doesn't always work like that. You're supposed to run slower, but sometimes hmm. you run faster because your execution of your faces and your transition as you're running is extremely sound and you executed well. Right? So, um, I can't really think in this moment of what I would do if 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 there wasn't any friction or any of that. I'd probably still be doing the same thing I'm doing now, honestly.
0: Wow, I'm glad you brought up the the, the tailwind and the headwind because there was a recent um athlete that just won um a world record in the 110 meters huddles. Actually, uh, she's from she's from she's from Nigeria. She's she's called Toby. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, Usain Bolt, uh, you know, sh- give a shout out on Twitter. But there was something that happened there that maybe you can explain to me as an athlete yourself. Uh, they took away some seconds of her winning time. What w- what what happened there?
1: Yeah. So 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 in, in, incredible, incredible run in the heat. She ran 1212 in 100 meter hurdles. And for those listening, the previous record was 1221. So she smashed it. And in the final, she ran 1206. Now, yes, the world that record, was it. Yeah, yeah. The, the world record is 1212. Right. And for those listening, you're probably thinking, wait, Akeem, but you just said 1206. In track and field, if the wind is over 2.0, it's an illegal wind. Right. So 2.0 and down is a legal wind. Her race was the wind was 2.5. So the time is still there, but from a world record standpoint, the 12.06 doesn't count. Even though we see it, the wind was too high, and so it didn't count. So that's why the record is still 12.12 and not 12.06, because when she ran 12.12, the wind was below 2.0 meters, uh, um, and then when she ran 12.06, it was over 2 miles per hour in the wind.
0: But hold a second. I mean, why are we are we punishing... Ha, for something that we can't control.
1: That's just sports. That's track and field. It's always been like that.
0: <laughs> that is crazy. I never knew that until I until and of course I paid attention a little bit more because of uh, I'm from Nigeria originally, but I was like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay, I didn't understand it at all until I explained it now. But I think for me the most important thing was how do you control that? We can control that. That is nature. But I guess in the, of- I guess in the in the sprinting world you guys already know about that anyway.
1: Yeah, the world, yeah, any race that you see if it's even if it's 2.1 it still doesn't count, right? So anything over 2.0 it will not count. Anything below anything 2.0 and below will count. That's just that's just the way it is, man.
0: So if it was below 2.0, the the current the new world record right now would be 1206 instead of 1212.
1: That is correct.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Man, Okay, man thanks so much for your time thanks so much for coming on the show and being uh, our inaugural guest um if our the audience wants to follow you how how can they get to know more about you
1: yeah it's been a pleasure man um as we spoke about before um off air I guess what two weeks ago now two um, weeks ago yes um, you yes. know uh any way that I can help definitely believe that I will man I love the idea I love what you're doing. Uh, the best way, man, is uh, social media, which is Instagram, Twitter. It's at Underdog AKH, uh, the podcast Unscripted with Akeem Haines, and also my website, which is www.akeeminspires.com. Any of those ways, man, uh, is the best way to get a hold of me.
0: Yeah. Is there any final patent thoughts you want to share with, with the audience?
1: Path and thoughts. Uh, a word of encouragement that comes to mind, man, is... What I what it, what has always helped me get through um, tough, challenging times, man, is every season has an expiration date, right? So uh, uh, while it may be uh, uh. tough now, at some point, the way the world works, the way life works, it will turn and it will change. But bad seasons don't last forever. Good seasons don't last forever. Challenging seasons don't last forever. And great seasons don't last forever. It will turn. And so if it's not the best season right now, hold on. Keep the faith. Keep your strength. Keep praying because at some point it will turn. And that's been something um, that I've always tried to go back to um, during my time in my life. Even to this day, something I always continue to use. At some point, the season will turn.
0: Wow. What a great way to end. And thank you very much for that. And uh, I mean, it's a true testament of your life coming out from everything you've come from, from Jamaica to Yellowknife, playing soccer in a cold place. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. coming, coming, coming to Calgary and seeing three garbage bags in front of the door at a minus 24. Mm. And then um, for me, for me, going over to win the bronze medal, and now doing another phase of your life. I, I can't wait to s- follow you and see your progress. And, uh, hopefully one day I can say that's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Akim, thanks so much, man.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, brother.
0: All right. Have a good one. There it is. The inaugural episode of, uh, the eccentrics as, uh, come to an end and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with uh, Kim Haynes Um, I can't wait to have another conversation with uh, another eccentric out there and uh, I look forward to publishing the next episode next week and I hope you will join me then I wish you a fantastic week go out there, do something unconventional and be the best self that you can be Peace out. Talk to you another time. Bye now.